The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic. Good morning. I'm Dr. Mark from Viti Clinic. This is the Tea Health Show. And in studio, we have Sister Elise van Art and our lovely producer, Simpiwe. Good morning, girls. Morning. Okay. So, Simpiwe, last week we spoke about what is menopause. And I think um, it was a bit of an eye-opener um, to a great degree. Yes, it was. Okay. Um, I have much more respect for women who are much more older than I am. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, Cecilia, shall we do a quick recap just about menopause? Uh, menopause is a, a, a point in time when your ovaries stop producing enough estrogen to keep the blood levels optimal. Every single woman will eventually get to menopause it's unavoidable it's incurable and it comes with lots of symptoms some women 20 percent breeze through menopause but the rest of women can have mild moderate severe and even debilitating symptoms so um Co- coexisting conditions coming with menopause okay so t- shall we just quickly run through those symptoms again okay First thing they complain of is hot flushes, night sweats. Mm-hmm. And because that's very embarrassing, especially if you're still in the work environment and you suddenly pour with sweat down your face. Oh, it's also uncomfortable. Women, uncomfortable. I, I haven't experienced that, but what women say, they literally start burning from inside. Yes. Um, would there is ice. What do you up. mean? It's, it's a heat that comes from your inside. So it's like when you have fever, that hot feeling that you get, this is that on steroids apparently. Yeah. I've never had one, Elise. Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> My uterus has been removed a long time ago. <laughs> uh, so the other one that they complain about is mood, more to the darker side than the lighter side of life and mood swings, small things irritate them. My biggest thing was the one that I loved the most. I love my husband, but I yeah. can't stand him. Yes, yes. I, he irritated me like crazy. And I couldn't understand why. And then the other um, big concern is anxiety. They present with anxiety without knowing or without triggering something triggered the anxiety. Thanks, Erin. Erin uh, just brought Simpiwe a cup of coffee because someone stole her hot water. Sis on you. Erin, what do you know about menopause? Uh, not a lot, just that it happens to women after a certain like age. I think it can be as early as mid-30s somewhere all the way until... Did you know that or did you learn it from us? <laughs> I listened to the show. <laughs> <laughs> And it goes to okay, well, you're also going to go through menopause. Men go through menopause. Yeah, absolutely. But it's something that we will talk about um, further in our season. Okay. So, um, Sister Elise, one of the other, and most probably the first sign that we often see is changes in the menstrual cycle for women who were regular, um, who had a, a, a steady, steady cycle. Uh, some, something changed, either the bleeding, the period of the bleeding, the heaviness of the bleeding, 
over frequency and duration of of the cycle. What is interesting for me, that's not the first thing that they complain about. No, it's uh, you're right. Actually, now that I think about it, yeah. we um, we we pick it up. Pick it up. Yeah. Um, but women don't don't notice that. So, Simpiwe, um seeing that you're still in your reproductive years, um, are you using a contraceptive? If I may ask. No. I'm so your cycle is regular every month. Yes. Okay. So. Um, one of the signs that you look out for when you get older, and this is about 15 to 20 years older than what you are now. <laughs> That's 20 years older than what you are now. You're still a child. Remember, she, mean, she measures menopause at 45. Yeah. So it's 20 years from now. <laughs> when your cycle starts changing, you know, it is one of the first signs. Now, Elise um, mentioned something that I just want to stand still um with for a second and this is the changes in hormone levels bring about other physiological changes and diseases and here we're specifically looking at the cardiovascular disease heart attacks and strokes um, osteoporosis because we need estrogen for bone mineralization diabetes there's a higher risk of Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, weight gain, etc., etc. But the topic for today's show is actually management of menopause. So, um, shall we shall we kick off there? Billy? Yes, I I would like to start. Um, I think in the layman's term, people speak about HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and historically that usually had a very negative connotation to HRT. Still to today, in our practice, we see people coming in and say, I've got these symptoms, but I don't want HRT. Make interject there for a single second. So in all my public engagements that I do when we speak about um, hormones and, and optimization or replacement therapy, I point out to people that you have 50 plus hormones in the body. Correct. So um, if you are taking vitamin D supplementation, you are taking hormone replacement therapy. If you are taking melatonin at nighttime to sleep, you are taking hormone replacement therapy. So the correct medication for thyroid. Thyroid. Thyroid is also. So your altroxin to your thyrox. Those kind of things. This is also hormone replacement therapy. So the correct term to refer to is menopausal hormone replacement. And that's very specific. And I think that's more acceptable for most people to hear. Okay, I've got menopausal symptoms. There is help and we can get therapy for that. Hormone, menopausal hormone therapy is the correct word, MHT. So that's something that I would have liked to just bring under everybody's attention. But it's the same treatment. Don't think it's different. Um, it, it does attend or address your symptoms of menopause as well as most probably the coexisting diseases or symptoms that you are aware of. So in functional medicine, um, uh, and I just spoke to Divya about an unrelated um, issue. 
Um, we, as functional practitioners, look at the whole hormone cascades. It's not just the one system. So for women who are going through menopausal um, symptoms or, ha or who has menopausal symptoms, you need to look at all the other hormones. And um, you also need to look at cholesterol levels. You need to look at insulin levels. You need to look at thyroid levels. You need to look at the adrenal glands and the adrenal axis, the pituitary adrenal axis, because they affect one another. Um, and for us, I just want to um, bring something to attention. And um, it, it, I, I highlighted it clearly yesterday for myself when I recorded um, a, a little talk on puberty, which we will be discussing next week. And that is the um, organs and systems involved in producing hormones in the ovary. And the first one is the brain. And with the brain, in the brain, you have the hypothalamus. Now, the hypothalamus is the part of the brain that connects the, the endocrine, the glandular part, with the neurological part. And that sends signals via transmitters, neurotransmitters, to a gland, and we call it the pituitary gland, which sits in the brain. And the pituitary gland is basically the control center for everything. And it releases human chorionic gonadotropin. So chorionic is a development. Am I correct, Elise? If we think of chorionic, the word chorionic. Um, and gonado as gonads um, means testicles and ovaries. So you have a hormone from the pituitary gland that stimulates stimulating hormones. So follicle stimulating hormone. And I think we touched on that and its role last week. Yes. A uh, follicle-stimulating hormone stimulates the ovaries to ovulate, to make follicles so that you can ovulate. And then luteinizing hormone, which is responsible for testosterone production. Um, and those two um, then circulate through the blood to the ovaries where it is responsible for one, producing testosterone, and women forget that. It actually gives you testosterone, and it's the testosterone that gives you estrogen. Okay, so um, if there's a problem, it can be anywhere along that axis. Yeah. So it starts with the brain, it involves pituitary gland, and it involves your ovaries. So there's a lot that can go wrong, but there's also a lot that we can do to help this process. Um, Treatment-wise, Elise, um, shall we take a look at the different treatment modalities first? Or We first talk about the safety. I want to just mention that the study, the Women's Health Initiative, has debunked all the myths about hormone replacement or, or menopausal hormone replacement therapy, hormone treatment, and that is that all treatments, or depends on if you have a uterus or not, is safe 
for women over 50 and onset of those treatment needs to happen within 10 years of your first menopausal symptoms. So I I actually want to go a step back. Mm-hmm. So what you've just said is so incredibly important. Um we need to under, you need to know the following. If you still have an intact uterus, in other words, a uterus that hasn't been ablated, um, or that had, you haven't had a hysterectomy, hmm? the treatment is a combination treatment and it always has to be a combination treatment with estrogen as well as progesterone for the simple fact estrogen stimulates the endometrial lining that's the inside of the uh, of the uterus to start thickening so that there's a place for the egg to implant once it's been fertilized and progesterone on the other hand, is responsible for breaking down that endometrial lining and that's what causes the menstruation. So there's a, there's a very delicate dance between estrogen and progesterone. So when we talk about an intact uterus, is the uterus is functioning normally and that's very important. Yes. So safety does come in, but um, safety differs according to your protocol that you are on. So um, before we we discuss the safety um, in in its own right, let's talk about the different treatment. Modalities Types of that we okay. have okay. because this is important. So, Elise, let's start with the majority of women still have a uterus. So, shall we start there? It's combination treatment: estrogen, progesterone. What forms and types? Usually in tablet forms, um, and then um, I I'm not sure if these patches. That has combination treatment. It is a patch. And then you can go the transdermal route or topical route. So let's just explain transdermal. This means it's absorbed through the skin. So this is your patches. This is your creams. And gels. And gels. Okay. And then you get vaginal treatments as well. Is there a combination vaginal treatment? Not that I'm aware of. I know about, about an estrogen treatment that you can apply vaginally. Okay, so if we look at combination treatment, you're basically stuck with either a combination pill that you take orally. So I want us to stop there for a second. In the show, we have spoken um, a lot about gut. And we know that if you swallow something, it needs to be absorbed through the gut. Now, think about this. If you have an unhealthy gut, 
either in the form of um, a lack of acidity or a lack of enzymes and absorption, or if you have something like a leaky gut syndrome, and that tablet needs to be absorbed, um, you might have a problem. Elise, do you agree? And I think we see this very often in our practice with women who come in and they are on a very effective um, tablet that is has been used for a long time historically. We know the efficacy of a drug. And for them, it just doesn't work yeah, or they're properly. Yeah, not presenting again with symptoms. So over a period, like three or four years, the tablets worked and suddenly they present with um, hot flushes, night sweats, etc. But what people also need to know is that you like to say this, as we age, our needs change with hormone replacement therapy. And that's not something that can happen. I'm now on it for 10 years and I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to be okay for the next 10 years. You need to change your treatment plan according to you, uh, your age happening. Yeah, it's a constant flux. Yeah. Um, and I think this is incredibly important. So, um, that's the tablet. They come in various guises. It's, easy to use like you were using your contraceptive if you were ever using a contraceptive pill um you know what this this is a easy way to use it it's exactly the same um, how long do you take these tablet or this tablet how long is like is there once you start the pause you go on for like two years or is it uh fifth and thing? so the acceptable um protocol is that you start hormone optimization therapy as soon as menopause start or as soon as possible after the menopause has started. Like Elisa said, for it to be effective to prevent the cardiovascular events, the cognitive decline, the Alzheimer's, the Parkinson's, the osteoporosis, it needs to happen within the first 10 years of you going into menopause. Now, historically, and Elise, correct me if I was right, uh, if I'm wrong. Historically, it was thought that you take hormone replacement therapy up to the age of 65. And Elise has mentioned the Women's Health Initiative study. Um, and I just quickly want to stop there. The Women's Health Initiative study is a study that ran over 20 years. It started um, in 2000, uh, 1999. Yeah. Actually, it's when the study was started and more than 7 million women. So it's, it's, it's really been one of the biggest studies. 7 million women, all demographics, all over the world got enrolled in this study. And the study concluded in 2019 and the final results of the study was only published in June 2022. The study has subsequently been endorsed by the uh, International Menopausal Society, the European and North American Australian Menopause Society. So those are the big ones that, you know, that carry a bit of weight. So they all endorsed the findings of the study. Um, and it's now 
come to the front that you do not have to stop menopausal treatment at the age of 65 for the simple reason it protects you against the heart attacks, the strokes, the Parkinson's, the dementias. Okay, so it's now becoming accepted through scientific evidence that you continue past the age of 65 and sometimes even indefinitely. But may I just mention, there's no health benefit of starting HRT after a certain age. After the age of 65? Yeah, yeah. And as well as after 70 is specifically mentioned. Your risks of having um, illnesses starting HRT at that age increases if you haven't started early enough with hormone so replacement. hormone replacement therapy you should actually look at it's not only treating the symptoms but it's preventative yes for far more serious uh, health conditions um transdermal preparations so transdermal preparations your patches your creams now i want us to focus on prescription medication because we'll talk about Compounded and bioidentical stuff. And complementary stuff. Um, so there are prescription, tried, tested, evaluated, scientifically approved by FDA's, EU's, uh, our own medical control council or SAPRA, um, that shows the effectivity as well as the safety. Now, here we are thinking of, and I'm going to name some names, Femigel, Everall patches. So those are your estrogen, estrogens that you can use, uh, transdermally. Um, we like to use transdermal, transdermal preparations in the practice, um, that are in gel form that you apply for the simple reason you can manipulate the dose which is something that you cannot do with your fixed tablets or your fixed patches. It's a set dose. And very often, as Elise said a little bit earlier, um, you do not get the optimal result. They might either be a little bit too strong for your needs at that point in time, which presents with um, some symptoms like breast tenderness, anything else, Elise? It's mostly breast tenderness. Mostly breast tenderness. Um, and sometimes they, on the, Specifically on the on the higher dose that we recommend, which is two pumps, it's me a metered pump. Um, one pump is one dose, two pumps is two dose of doses of estrogen. They still present with uh, sometimes hot flushes, one or two a day, and instead of having them every hour. Yes, interestingly enough, I've read up about just yesterday. I've read up. As you age, you can increase their doses up to four pumps a day. Sure, but quite high. Yeah, it's quite high. Um, where was I? <laughs> I lost it. Don't laugh at me. I'm old. We, we discussed the, the advantage of using a gel. Okay. So, um, the, uh, you know what? Sometimes the, the fixed dose is just not strong enough. So you have breakthrough symptoms. Okay. Um, very often, and then we can manipulate. Yes, that's what you wanted to say. Um, and we can manipulate and say, okay, take more for a day or two, 
or take two today, skip a day, you know, just to manage your symptoms properly. And then, um, you know what, we, we also look at patients who are on some form of contraception. And here we specifically think of your intrauterine devices. Have you ever heard of a Mirena? Okay, so it's a very, very effective way of uh, contraceptive. Well, it's a very co- uh, effective contraceptive, but it also has a hormonal component to it where it releases progesterone. So, for instance, for women in the, uh, that's going into menopause, um, they can, they can have one of these intrauterine devices, um, in situ and then just add the, the estrogen for us, it's actually a wonderful way of doing things because we protect the endometrial lining without having to add another form of medication to that. Question. Um, at the beginning of the show, if you asked if I was on any contraceptives, so it's easier for me to see if my cycle is regular, irregular, right? Um, but like for someone who is, um, on a contraceptive and they don't even have like a cycle at all. What's the best way to tell that this is like I'm entering menopause and then I should start this treatment? I think, um, they notice the symptoms, okay. the, the changes in mood, the irritability, the mood swings, the changes in sleep. Um, so that will be symptom driven. Remember the first sign for women with an intact uterus is changes in the menstrual cycle. And that usually happens three, two, three years sometimes before the onset of menopause. So, um, it, it, I think it's, it's worth it to mention the advantages of progesterone as well. It's not only preparing your uterus to shed the inner lining for when you go into your period. It helps improve mood. It helps improve sleep. And that is the first time signs that woman that is in the perimenopausal area before the hot flushes. Mm. They will have mood changes. They will have sleep disturbances. And another advantage is it lowers your blood pressure, um, which I think makes us anxious when you have elevated blood pressure. Yeah, you have those palpitations exactly. um, that women feel. Uh, the heart rate is elevated. So, and that's why the Mirena is working so well. Even women that goes into menopause, like you mentioned, keep their Mirena in. And the period that they keep it in is five years. Then they say you need to change it. Um, and... It takes the menstruation away, but the advantages of having progesterone being secreted into your body is much more than just protecting the inner lining of the uterus. Absolutely. Um, so those are the traditional ones for women with an intact uterus. But if you recall, I said the cascade involves testosterone as well. So... What women don't know is they produce four times more testosterone in their bodies or in their ovaries than they produce estrogen. For a simple reason, testosterone aromatases into estradiol. And 
the first sign is the testosterone goes down. So the symptoms that they have for that is changes in libido, changes in sex drive, as well as changes in things like motivation, depression, and anxiety. So in our practice, we balance all three the sex hormones with one another. There needs to be a balance between optimal testosterone, optimal estrogen, and optimal progesterone. Like when you are in your 20s and 30s, when you are at your prime. So it's balance. It's, it's, um, we often see women on hormone replacement therapy who present to the practice with symptoms because of an imbalance between testosterone and estrogen. And mean, the only thing that we need to do is optimize the testosterone. So we also need to look at the precursor of testosterone and estrogen. And that is DHEA, dehydroxyepiandosterone. So you make DHEA and from DHEA you form testosterone. A little bit of DHEA can also give you some estrogen. So very often for women in their perimenopausal period or who's just going into menopause, who do not want to go on full-on menopausal hormone replacement therapy, we treat with a pro-hormone, DHEA, and very successfully, to be honest. Okay. Um. Now, I think we need to focus on the treatment for women who have either had the uterus removed or ablated. So, um, Elise, do you want to explain just what um, uh, endometrial ablation is and how it's done? It is a procedure that is done in the operating room where they place a wand or a stick into your... Oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> what was I call it? It's an, it ablated with laser today uh, or with almost like a, a cauterizing. No, it's a wand that they use. Um, it, it emits radio frequency. So it's a radio frequency injury. Yeah. So then um, it... But that, gi- that gives you a thermal... Yes. It's a thermal ablation. Thermal. So basically, don't worry, you don't feel it. Yeah. You are an, an, under anesthetic, so you don't feel it. <laughs> they cook you from the inside. They cook your womb. <laughs> so it's set on a, on a um, specific setting, emits radio frequency, which creates heat, and it basically burns the inner lining of your uterus and destroys it in that way. As soon as that procedure takes about 45 minutes, as soon as they remove the wand out of the uterus, then they, um, the, the uterus will, two walls will attach itself by healing. Can we say that? So it creates fibrosis and the uterus will attach itself to the other side. So it's, it's, think about when you, uh, waterproof um, your roof 
you heat that rubber and then it sticks and then nothing can get in between. So now you have, your uterus is basically a big muscle with a cavity. So what they do is they melt the cavities yes. together, yes. basically. I think it's also worth mentioning. It's a, it's a non-invasive procedure, actually. But there is risks to that as well. Explain. Yeah. So if you don't dilate the cervix enough, you can create a false tunnel and you're not in the inner part of the uterus. Um, it's worth it to research which doctors are familiar with this procedure before you go for that. I, I have to be honest. We like ablations because it's far less invasive yeah. than hysterectomies. Yes, and with the hysterectomy, other risks is involved. For instance, prolapse of the bladder, prolapse of the the rectum, etc. If the uterus is still in situ, your ligaments that support your pelvic floor floor muscles is still available to keep everything in place. Now, we we often see women with naturally very heavy. Um, menstrual cycles, um, we often refer them for an ablation. Um, it, it changes and enhances the quality of their lives where they do not have to contend with that severe uh, monthly. Bleeding. If there's no other cofactors, for instance, you, I don't know if people are familiar with this, but fibroids. In the uterus is where there's a growth in the muscle of the uterus wall. Um, that also can create a heavy bleeding. Yeah. It's um, bigger so, muscle mass, so yeah. it bleeds more. So people need to, or women need to know exactly if it's safe for them to have this ablation procedure done. And trust the gynecologist. They will give you the right advice on that. Okay, so... If a uterus has been removed or it's been ablated, the need for progesterone goes away. Okay. And here we use estrogen-only preparations. Elise, the other one that we forgot, and let's just look at estrogen-only preparations. We have the uh, estrogen-only pills. So um, your your mother, your grandmother might know the old ones that we love to use. They came in yellow, green, and purple tablets, and they were called Premarin. I cannot tell you how. <laughs> yeah, I cannot tell you how many of those I had to count out in my days of um, and it's working made in pharmacy. Or's urine. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. And um, <laughs> so today we have different preparations. You have um, other estrogen-only tablets. You have estrogen-only patches. You have estrogen-only implants. You have estrogen-only gels. And you also have estrogen-only transmucosal preparations. And this is where you use the gel. Um, on mucosal membranes inside the vagina where it absorbs. Not in your mouth. <laughs> His mouth or her mouth? <laughs> Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, 
and worth mentioning the vaginal preparations usually works locally only locally so when we when you insert it into your vagina it doesn't absorb systemically yeah so it it rejuvenates the vaginal dryness that women experience during menopause okay so that vaginal atrophy and and dryness as elisa said um so those are your treatment modalities. Now, I want us to talk for a moment about the new move. Well, it's not new. It's been happening, I would say, for about 10 years. The bioidentical bio hormones. So bioidentical hormones, and um, Divya has described that so eloquently in previous podcasts are hormones that we are able to manufacture synthetically, and they usually come from plant-based origins, that look structurally, the molecule itself, very, very similar, if not identical, to the ones that the body makes. Synthetic hormones usually has a different um, molecular structure and therefore can act differently or when they metabolize, break down into different compounds that also have an effect. Some of them are the ones that cause side effects. Um, so bioidentical hormones... Uh, is something that can be considered, but there's a but. Elise, uh, you wanted to ask yeah, a question? I, I want to interject here and say, but if you can't take hormone replacement or traditional hormone replacement therapy. Prescription. Prescription. You can't take compounded hormone replacement therapy or bioidentical therapy. This is for women with breast cancer. Correct. Or uterine it cancer. It is hormone-related breast cancer, yeah. Or uterine cancer. Or uterine cancer. So, um, if we look at the data that's published on bioidentical hormones, your medical fraternities and the studies, and I can refer back to the Women's Health Initiative study, do not advocate... Um, the use of bioidentical hormone preparations for one reason and one reason only is there's very little control about the quality and the efficacy of compounded products because any compounding laboratory can manufacture these and that poses a problem. It's all about the raw ingredient, the carrier proteins or emollients, etc., etc. So you might be getting a hormone. that it's being compounded yeah. in. So they are effective if you get a good quality one, pharmaceutical grade, compounded in the correct laboratory circumstances and environments like they would do with prescription medication that needs approval from regulatory um, institutions. 
bioidentical hormones compounded products um, slip under the radar for that. And therefore, um, they are not regarded as the best option. They definitely have a role and a place, but it all depends on where it comes from, how it's made, um, and how effective they will be. So um, I think that is a very important um, thing for us to know. Yes, I agree. Okay. Now, the big thing I think that women have and ask, and we've alluded to this, and I need us to, to just focus on this a little bit, is safety. But before we get to safety, one of the questions that we get every single consultation is, is this going to make me fat? Yes. And is it? No. No. Hormones do not make you fat. And again, there's thousands of randomized control studies and consensus papers that have been published to prove that hormone replacement therapy does not cause weight gain. Elise, um, we see something slightly different in practice, to be honest. Yes, but it's not weight gain. It is more water retention. And that we find with, when in the beginning of the, the treatment plan, that woman tends to retain a little bit of water. But also, um, something that we've noticed is, they may become heavier, but they become leaner. Yeah. Um, so there's more muscle built, lean muscle built with the hormone replacement therapy that we are doing. So, Biwi, if you cast your mind back to the episodes that we've done um, last month about metabolic disease, you will remember that we said Metabolic disease is changes in cholesterol levels, it's changes in blood pressure, it's changes in glucose and insulin metabolism, thyroid, weight, and hormones, <clears throat> specifically hypogonadism. So it's not the hormone that causes the weight gain. Remember, taking a, a, a cake recipe that works and I start changing the ingredients in the cake, the cake's going to taste different. You agree? So when we take a patient who have metabolic syndrome, and all the patients with weight gain are the patients who have underlying metabolic syndrome that's never been diagnosed, and now I start changing the hormones, the hormones are responsible and are linked to the other hormone levels. So it's the metabolic side that changes. It's not the hormone replacement. It's not the estrogen that causes weight gain because if it's the estrogen that caused the weight gain, you should be fat while you are in your reproductive years. So does that make sense? Okay, so um, hormone replacement therapy does not cause weight gain. 
Okay. You have to look at all the systems and balance them to create metabolic stability. Okay. Okay. Safety. In a nutshell, is hormone replacement therapy safe? And the answer is a resounding yes. <laughs> it does not cause cancer. Okay. But if you have an underlying cancer that's already active, it will and has the possibility of lighting that little ember into a raging fire. So it's very important to understand the patient's medical history, current medical condition, family history before embarking on this road. Okay. And it's worth mentioning as well that um, obesity is also a cause. Your chances of getting cancer and you are obese are double of what hormone replacement therapy is. Yeah. So I'm going to put it into figures. Do you have a women's health initiative to study there? No, I don't. Okay. So I'm going to um, try and recall the data. So let's put it into numbers. If you take a thousand women that has never had, uh, before I go there, the main cancers in women that can be related to hormones are breast cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer. Okay. Those are the top five. So let's take a look at the numbers. If I take a thousand women who has never had hormone replacement or hormone treatments, 13 out of a thousand women will develop breast cancer. Okay? Now listen to the following. The Women's Health Initiative study have found and published that if I take a thousand women on hormone replacement therapy, only six will develop breast cancer. That's kind of less than half of the first. Okay. So it is, it stands to reason that optimal hormone balance and optimal hormone levels protects us against cancer. So when we look at other conditions, so we think about hormone replacement therapy and cancer. Elise made a, a point which they, they clearly stated. There's a higher risk of developing cancer in women not on hormone replacement therapy who are obese and overweight than the risk of women developing cancer on hormone replacement therapy. But there's one that's even more interesting. Four units of alcohol per day 
gives you a higher risk of developing breast cancer than being on hormone replacement therapy. Now that's scary. <laughs> okay. So, and I think that puts the safety of hormone replacement therapy into pr- perspective. Stop drinking. Um, no, take hormone replacement therapy. Drinking. <laughs> take hormone replacement therapy. So one of the other big things that is associated or was historically associated with hormone replacement therapy is development of thrombosis, clots, and pulmonary emboli and therefore strokes. Now, this has traditionally been associated with progesterone. Elise, correct? Yes. Okay. So what they found in patients with previous thrombotic events, this is a deep vein thrombosis or a DVT or a pulmonary embolus, is that there's no increase in risk if you go on to hormone replacement therapy for developing another thrombosis or pulmonary emboli. And that, again, was published in 2022. What I think we need to just discuss is the safety of the different treatment modalities. So here we're thinking of estrogen on its own, estrogen with progesterone sequentially, which means like you were taking your um, um, cont- your contraception where you were taking 21 days of uh, estrogen and estrogen progesterone combination pull and in seven days off, doing the same with estrogen progesterone for women with intact uteruses where you take estrogen for 21 days and progesterone only for seven days in combination with your estrogen, there's a difference in safety profile. There's also a a, a difference in the modality itself. So the safest way of taking hormone replacement therapy is estrogen only. On its own, transdermally. So in the form of a patch or um, a gel or a cream. And this is why in our practice, we love women who had an ablation or who've had a hysterectomy because it's the safest way of treating them. Although the risk is incredibly small, it's the safest way of taking it. And that is then followed by Combination treatment of estrogen progesterone, again, transdermally. Then only estrogen orally and then the combination estrogen progesterone. So when we look at risk factors and safety there's a lot that comes into the mix. It's whether you have a uterus, whether it's intact or not. Your age. Age. Other health conditions. Etc., etc. So this is a discussion that 
needs to take place at length. This is not a quick, okay, you have menopause, here's a prescription. This is something where you as the patient need to be involved. And I cannot stress this enough. You need to have all the information about effectivity, safety, treatment, protocols, side effects, etc., etc. Thank you, Elise. That's a very valid point. And we'll come to the side effects, I, I think. Um, to make a decision, what is going to be right for you? Okay. Now, let's talk about women who have had um, cancer or who has a family history of cancer. So the studies also show that women with um, the BRCA, is it one in two? I, I think so. Can't, can't um, women with the genetic predisposition, there's not an increase in the risk for developing breast cancer. So if you have a strong family history, mom, sister, aunt, um, patients are always cautioned about, you know what, you shouldn't take hormone replacement therapy. The Women's Health Initiative study has debunked that uh, um, to a very large degree where they have shown that there's no increase in personal risk. Okay. But I always want to say, if you are going to look for a cancer by doing your breast exams, your mammograms, your um, thermal scans, etc., etc., you are far more likely to find something than if you are not looking for it. Do you agree? Yes, this is why people would go to the doctor. <laughs> Especially older people, I don't want to find something new that's wrong. So, in a nutshell, hormone replacement therapy is safe if it's done correctly. It has great benefits, not only on signs and symptoms, but on the prevention of disease and prevention of mortality and morbidity. So this is something that everyone should consider. There is a way for you that will work for you, that is safe for you. Side effects, Sister Elise, I can think of one. Okay, you go first. Hair loss. Yes, absolutely. Hair loss, hair growth, which is actually a symptom of menopause. Um, as soon as you have hair growth on your upper lip and your chin, etc., hormonal changes do that. Um, and that's basically the two that I can think of. Yes. I, I think those are the biggest ones. So in our practice at the T-Clinic, what we do when we look at patients is very detailed understanding of previous medical history, current medical conditions, family history, medication, supplementation that you're currently taking. And then we focus on fixing the metabolic pathways as well as optimizing the hormones and in our practice, it's known as fatigue clinic for one specific reason. We usually incorporate testosterone. Why? Because testosterone is one of the hormones that is a great balancer 
it has huge psychoactive effects on energy, motivation, depression, anxiety, etc., etc. It's important to balance all three legs of your menopausal hormones, progesterone, testosterone, and estrogen to give you the best optimal effect. It is safe and it is effective. Is there any questions, Sims, that you want to ask about this? Please try one. Oh, no. Okay. I just want to mention um, people are tend to go and buy complementary medicine. Oh, uh, sorry. We, we need to talk about this one. Um, and Sims is giving me the lesson. We started at 10 past 6. Um, no. 6 past 9. So I have <laughs> 3. Um, complementary stuff, yeah. Elise. Um, do they play a role? Nothing has been proven to be effective. To be effective. And I'm thinking of vitamin E. Um, evening primrose. Evening primrose. Jams. Oil jams. Um, what else? St. John's wort. Um, and often they go hand in hand with other complications. Exactly. Um, what else is there? Homeopathic tinctures and concoctions. and Magnetic therapy. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy that can help you cope, but it won't take away your symptoms. Cognitive behavior therapy, you nuts and you're just controlling the amount of nuts. Exactly. Acupuncture. Um, black coash. I don't know that. Dong. Oh, red clover. Belladonna. First kind of stuff. Yeah. So phytoestrogens, all of those things. It's never been proven to be effective. But if it makes you feel better taking it, please do take it and then you will be quickly, quickly going to a doctor and realize. But please just discuss this with your medical Exactly. Don't use it without discussing it with your medical practice. Okay. So that brings us to the end of our series on menopause. You can catch us and this podcast and the previous podcast, as well as the stuff that we've done on Real Health and on our website. Next week, we are back with a, a topic that Elise actually um, brought up due to a patient that uh, came to us. And this is Delayed or late onset of puberty, and we are focusing specifically on late onset puberty in boys. So join us for that discussion next week. Last week when I spoke to Gareth, he said um, he thinks it's a very interesting show, um, and he'll be tuning in. So um, until next week, same place, same time, we wish you good health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.